You are about to listen to a message from David Bendet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's desire is to see people lit on fire by God's love, His Word, and His presence. So prepare yourself to be inspired by the wind and the Word, and get fired up about what God's doing today. And so this morning, the Lord gave me a message that I believe is, is real relevant to all of us. And the title of this message this morning is No Spiritual Drifters. No Spiritual Drifters. And I got this title when I was reading in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Let's pull that up on the screen. This is really where this came to me, though I have thought about this a lot. And I've used a lot of analogies to explain this scripture over the course of time. Okay? And you can kind of look at the scripture, and we'll break it down in just a moment. But I want you to think about a fire. How many of you like to have beach bonfires or ever been to a beach bonfire? How many of you have a fireplace and like to light a fire in your fireplace? We all do, right? We like that. We enjoy being around a warm fire. But the premise here is that a fire left by itself will go out. And if a fire doesn't have fuel, oxygen, and stoking, it'll go out. Fuel, God's word, God's breath, God's life, him breathing oxygen upon us, him stoking our heart and provoking us to know him more, these are all natural understandings of spiritual implications that God wants us to be fiery hot. And he makes it clear he'd rather us be hot. He doesn't want you to be lukewarm. He wants you to be burning hot. And so a fire needs oxygen, stoking, and fuel. I want you to think about this thermostat that's on the wall. There's two of them in the back. You can use that thermostat to control the temperature in here, but what's really controlling the temperature is our HVAC unit that's on the roof that kicks on and off. That thermostat just tells it to turn on and turn off. The actual temperature is being regulated by that HVAC being turned on or turned off. And the Lord has called us to be like a thermostat, but we have to turn on to get that heat and that fervency and that passion burning bright in our life. And if you're not careful, you can drift away. All of us are prone to drifting away. All of us are prone to becoming lukewarm or even cold. That's why a life in Christ has to be cultivated. That's why we have to work to stay full. We have to ask, seek, and knock. We have to abide in the branch, so, or we have to abide in the vine so that we can bear fruit in our life. We have to eat our daily bread every day. And every day, God makes new provisions so that we don't slip away and become lukewarm and become cold. We're called to be like a thermostat. But if we don't have something generating life inside of us, the Holy Spirit, and we're not staying full, then what happens? We're not able to control the temperature around us. And so we use the analogy that we're the ones that are called to control the temperature. We're not supposed to be thermometers where we're just sensing the temperature and we're adjusting to the temperature of the room, but actually we're called to be ones that control and set the temperature around us. And that only comes from the generation or the generator of the Holy Spirit inside of us and us staying full of the Holy Spirit. Yeah! Got that? So I'm going to try to keep it really simple for you guys today, but you have to understand that I'm here to pull you up higher. I'm here to be that hand that reaches down and says, come up a little bit higher. In this room today, there are spiritual graduates, PhD level, mamas and papas that have been living and serving the Lord for a very long time. But there are also young sapling trees, young babies that have just gotten born again or just coming back to the Lord for the first time in a really long time. 
There are people that have driven by this church and got drawn here, and suddenly when they came, they got captivated by the Holy Spirit and started to lay a new foundation. And there's some of us here that laid a foundation a long time ago. Maybe you went to a church that taught you things that were unhealthy, and the foundation that was laid was broken. And that's why later in the book of Hebrews, especially chapter 6, the writer says you, don't need to, you shouldn't have to lay again the foundation, but some of us do. Because the foundation of what we were taught in religious church or institutionalized church caused us to have a works mentality and not really know what the gospel is. The gospel is great news. He's a loving father. And there's so many scriptures that point to the fact that Jesus gave his life because he loved us not to condemn us, but he gave his life because we were spiritually destitute without him. We were already in crisis. The good news of the gospel is that he's a good father. The good news of the gospel is that the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. Everybody say the kindness of the Lord. But the things that we were often taught in denominational churches or institutionalized churches or things we saw on TV or religious parents often caused us to build a foundation that was unhealthy. And you know what happens when you build on a bad foundation? A little earthquake, a little wind, a little shifting, a little spiritual drought, or even too much rain causes that foundation to shift or blow over or crack. And you may not notice it over time, but after years and years and years, you notice the building's just a little bit tilted. Or you notice that underneath the ground, the, the soil is not healthy or not good. It's like building on a beach. And so we have to be honest with ourselves. And this scripture is very powerful. Because if we're not giving earnest heed to the things that you've heard, you'll drift away. But what if you never heard it the right way? There's a people everywhere around us that have never heard the gospel for what it really is. And how awesome and amazing and full of love and full of life he really is and what he has in store for us. And there's a lot of people that are hanging on to a promise but not doing anything with it. So think if I had a, a box, I'm going to do this at some point, but think if I had a box of Betty Crocker cake mix and I gave it to you. Would you have a cake? Well, in some ways, you have all the ingredients for a cake. You you're holding on to the promise, but you can't eat the picture on the box. Think of cornbread. You know those little 99-cent cornbread boxes? The Jiffy boxes? Those are nice, but you can't eat the picture. And many of you are hanging on to a promise, but you haven't done the work to cook it and bake it and make it into something. And what happens is, is you slowly drift away. To drift away means to be passively or unconsciously or voluntarily or involuntarily carried away. It simply means that I, was, I wandered aimlessly from the promise or I let a promise flow by. Here's a good example for you. We have an RO water system underneath our sink. Okay? I have some friends that have an ionized water system that increases the pH level of the water. This is really good water. Okay? Imagine if you just turned on your faucet and just let it all go down the drain. You crank up the pH level or you take your water that you bought that system for and you just turn it on and let it go down the drain. Even our own tap water. In some countries, they don't have the opportunity that we have for fresh water. And we take it for granted. And imagine you just turn that water on and you just let it run, run, run. You're taking good water that can be used for a bath or a shower or a drink. 
and you're just letting it pass right by you aimlessly. That's what it's like in the kingdom of God, to take a promise and to not do something with it and allow yourself to just drift or be carried away. I'm going to use a lot of analogies for you this morning. Imagine a water balloon. And you take a little needle and you poke a hole in the bottom of it. And slowly, that water just drips out and drips out and drips out and never gets replenished. That's what we're like. We have this small pinhole in our life that was designed for us to give out what we've been given. But instead, many of us allow it to get wasted. And then we don't allow ourselves to get replenished with the more that the Lord has in store with us. Okay? Now, I'd love to say we could just patch it up and make sure that it never drips out. But if there's no dripping, think of an IV. If that IV is not dripping medicine, if that IV is not dripping liquids, it's not doing any good. Or if it's not hooked into you, it's just being wasted away. We're called to be like a spiritual IV. We're called to give life. And it may drip out slowly, but if you don't stay replenished or you let it get wasted, you drift away. And I see people drift away all the time. And what I want you to know is that we're all prone to drifting away, even me. If that fire is not cultivated in your life, and I don't think religiously today, I'm talking about a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. I'm talking about secret place and staying full of his love and his life and his word. I'm not talking about being more religious and going to church more. That's not the answer. Church is part of the answer if it's healthy. If it's doing life right and community and healthy relationships that aren't out to control you, but rather empower you, then that's where you want to be. That's what the kingdom should be like. But we're all prone to drifting away. We're all prone to becoming lukewarm if we don't keep the fire hot. We're all that fire on the beach. Every one of us are a bonfire on the beach. Called to give life. We're like a lighthouse to save people from hitting their ship on the rocks. All these are natural understandings to help you understand that if we don't give earnest heed, everybody say earnest heed. Earnest. Now when's the last time you use that in your everyday language? Never. But what I love is the Lord knew exactly what he was doing when the original uh, text was written in Greek and Hebrew because it's a treasure chest. And if you'll take time to diligently stutter, study out words that are written in the, in the Greek and the Hebrew, you'll suddenly be opened. That's why I like to do that. I like to give you greater understandings and greater definitions so that you go, aha, and you grab a hold of a treasure for yourself. And then you go home and you water that word to bloom and blossom in your life. Because the word God's given me today is for this whole church. <clears throat> I know that in this whole church, we're all prone to drifting away. Some of you just kind of drifted back in here. Right? We're just spiritual drifters. We're never called to be spiritual drifters. I'm glad that you're here. But what I want to do is keep you always drifted in and getting the drip of the Lord in your life full time so you always stay full. That's what I want. But when you drift away or when you're prone to drifting away or if you feel that, then I've got some answers for you today. That's why we're here, right? We're all here to come back to the promise 
and to build a firm foundation in our life. So today I'm going to give you a few basic principles and understanding about how you cannot drift away and how you can stay firmly planted and fired up. All right? And I'm going to use a lot of examples. How many of you like to go on a river trip floating down the river? Okay? So we recently went floating down the Frio River, and while I was floating down the river, the Lord spoke to me, and I was looking at all these cypress trees, some old, big cypress trees. I mean, monster cypress trees. And I looked up at the tree, and I was like, wow, they're so big. And when I looked down, I could see hundreds of roots. I'm talking like 20 feet along the bank. One tree, over the course of many, 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 many years, had established a root system that was just bursting into the water. Hundreds of big, giant roots. You could walk on these roots for 20 feet along the bank. And then a little bit further, I looked, and I saw a little tiny cypress tree that was only about probably five feet tall. And it had just two roots coming out, reaching into the water. And the Lord began to show me that we're all trees that need to establish a root system in our life. And if your root system was dysfunctional or put into bad soil or was never healthy or you didn't have the chance to really grow the way God wanted you to grow, it brings instability. And as a healthy church and as a place where we can pull people up, there's got to be stability. And so I look at you like trees. I look at you like trees needing to be like that big giant tree, but that's a process of growth. And I recognize when God brings people like Taylor and many others of you back into my life, the Lord says, help them get planted and help them get rooted. That's why a lot of people will come to Rock City Church that really didn't fit in other churches or hadn't been to church in 20, 30 years. And they'll come here and they'll say, man, I really love what I'm sensing and feeling. And I say, stay planted because over time you're going to have a lot of roots that get established in your life. So we need to be a root system. We need to have a root system that enables us to stand firm no matter what comes our way. And that's where the things we have heard is important. Just look at the scripture. He wants us to give earnest heed to the things that we have heard. <clears throat> and my question is, what have you heard? What haven't you heard? And we have to be honest with ourselves if we have a broken foundation or we've been told lies or we don't really know who the Lord is. And then we have to say, Lord, I really want to know who you are and I really want to know who I'm called to be as a son and as a daughter. Now, these two words, earnest heat, are amazing. The word earnest means super abundant. It means more exceedingly. It means to press on and be persistent without ever shrinking back or backing down from what God has in store for your life. It means to be frequent more than you've ever been before. It means you're always in hot pursuit. That's what it means to be earnest. And to heed means to set your mind to something and take hold of it. It means to beware or be made aware or to be cautious at all times. It means to be diligent in your mental pursuit of the things of the Lord and to hang on to the promises. It means to be attendant, to, to attend to and adhere to and to have regard nonstop for what the Lord has for you. So earnest heed, giving earnest heed to a healthy foundation to the gospel of who Jesus really is will keep you from drifting away. And earnest heed is something only you can do between you and the Lord 
every day. Coming here is good. This will get you awakened. This will remind you. This will bring you back to the beginning. This will bring you back to the garden of promise. But every day you have to take earnest heed for yourself. I can't do that for you. And you can't just live from one fired up Wednesday and one fired up Sunday to another. You've got to cultivate an earnest heed every day of your life. <coughs> and look, I remember when I took a job with the tax and accounting software company in Tulsa. I was making $7.50 an hour and I was working with a bunch of accountants. Can you imagine? I wore tie-dye pants and yellow boots and I was loud and crazy and I went into work in a, as a customer service rep with accountants and CPAs. Now, you're not all bad. You're not all bad, okay? But I'm just going to tell you, they did not like me and they're like, why? They said to the VP, why did you hire this guy? And here I come rolling in for $7.50 an hour and I was fired up, and the VP said, you're pretty fired up, but we'll see if you're fired up in tax season when you're staying till 11 o'clock at night for three months straight. And I said, listen, man, I'm so fired up for the Lord. The Lord showed me that you're paying me to go to school. I don't care if I'm making $5 an hour. And I'm going to be more fired up than I ever was before because the fire is something I cultivate in the life of Christ inside of me. He said, oh, yeah, we'll see. And the thing is, is if you stay here and if you watch me, this is something that will stay consistent over a long period of time because I've learned these principles I'm teaching you today. I know I'm prone to drift away if I don't keep the fire cultivated. And the last thing I want to do is create a church that doesn't have experiences where you don't walk in here and go, wow, the Lord rocked me. What good is 90 minutes of our time without a touch from the Lord? Then we've just wasted our time. Who wants to waste their time? And so a life that's hot and fervent comes from a cultivated, earnest heed life. It's got to be something that you're hungry for and desperate for and want more than anything. And it means that you have to stop comparing yourself to others. It means that you have to stop trying to listen to what everybody else is saying and start sticking your finger in the wind and say, which way is the wind blowing? That's why I can only listen to so much of other ministers and preachers around the world because I love to hear what they're saying, but I want to know more than anything what God is saying to me for us and for now. And if I'm hearing the same Holy Spirit that they're hearing, guess what? When we're sticking our finger in from around the world, we're all hearing the same Holy Spirit. And that's why a lot of times I'll listen to preachers that I really like and I'm like, wow, I just preached that or I just said that because we're hearing from the same Holy Spirit. And so today I want to get you back to where you're supposed to be. And some of you feel like you've drifted away. And some of you feel like, where's the fire? Where's the passion? And the Lord says, I'm bringing you back to the beginning, and I'm going to rebuild your foundation. All right? I'm going to give you just a couple of things for you guys to hang on to today, and then I want to pray for you. We have to take earnest heed to what we've heard from the beginning. The gospel is good news. Jesus loves you. We were destitute without him, and in our own strength, we're beating our head against a wall. We need him, and we need his spiritual life and his breath upon us at all times. In your own strength, you will fail. And success isn't measured on how much money you have. Success isn't measured on how good your home is and how great your life is. 
Success is measured on you being spiritually awakened, understanding who you are, and then doing what he's called you to do every day of your life. That's what success is. Now, he gives us earthly success, but uniquely to us individually. So what I might see as successful in my life is going to be different to success in your life. So seeing my wife and healthy and strong and blooming and blossom and seeing my kids fired up for the Lord and seeing my family serving and living for Jesus Christ is success to me. Success to me is a family that's awakened to the love of who he is and not weird, religious, crazy people. But rock solid in Christ. Not ultra straight jacket religious lifestyles, but people that are awakened to destiny and creative with wind in their sails and fired up. Woo! It's what I want. And I know that's what you want more than anything for your children. And even if your children have gone astray or they're prodigals, there's a promise in the word for God to bring them back. And what I want to tell you is stop beating yourself up if you've made mistakes. Our sons and daughters ultimately always have to make decisions for themselves. And the best thing you can do now is do the best that you know to do with Christ and get a firm foundation. And if you want to see it, you got to be it. If you want to see change, you got to be the change. Just take responsibility for yourself and get lit up for Jesus. I promise you he'll handle the rest. So to understand the scripture of Hebrews 2.1, which starts with therefore, we need to go back to Hebrews chapter 1. There, anytime you read the Bible and you read a therefore, it means this is the answer for what I just said. Or this is the continuation of what I just said. So how can we really understand the therefore of Hebrews 2.1 if we don't understand Hebrews chapter 1? And today I want to challenge you to go and read Hebrews chapter 1 because in Hebrews chapter 1 is in a wonderful pattern and picture of who Jesus is as a son, how he received the promise, how he became an heir, how Jesus had seven very specific prophecies of a son. He had many more than that, but as a son, in Hebrews 1, there are seven specific Old Testament prophecies fulfilled about Jesus as a son. And I'm not going to go through all of those today. You guys can go back and read that. I love sonship. I love identity. Everything starts with identity and sonship. But when we go back to the beginning, we want to take a look at the very first few scriptures of Hebrews chapter 1, and I want to show that to you. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Everybody say, heir of all things. That's important because we're going to look at that in just a moment. Verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 2. In these last days spoke to us by a son whom he's appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels. And he has, by inheritance, everybody say, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. So I want to point out a couple things for you. Number one, Jesus became an heir and inherited all things. How? By purging our sins and going to the cross and overcoming sin, temptation, and the struggles of this world. 
So even though Jesus was the son, he had to come to earth and overcome through suffering, trials, tribulation, make it to the cross to defeat sin, death, hell, and the grave, and then obtain. So he obtained something by overcoming on the cross. So he was made heir of all things. Now, when he comes back again, he's coming back for a bride that will also become an heir. And there are a lot of children and sons and daughters out there that are not yet heirs. And we got to get a hold of them so that when Jesus comes back, he gets the fullness of his promise. And the way that we do that is by overcoming ourselves. We have to overcome so that we can obtain a promise. Now, I want you to go back to verse 3. What does it mean to purge? What does it mean to be purged? I love this scripture. And I love this word. So what Jesus did was he came and he purged us. To be purged means to completely get rid of something, especially bad memories, a bad condition, and a bad feeling. He removes bad conditions. He removes bad memories. He removes bad or ill feelings. That's what he did, and that's what he does. So whenever I feel a certain way or a bad memory comes, I'm able to go to the cross, and I'm able to remember that Jesus purged me of that so I don't have to take it anymore. Here's good news for you. This is foundational gospel. This gets me so excited. I mean, this... You can't ever hear this enough. I was broken. I was sick. I did horrible things that I, some I tell you about, but some I never want to tell you about. Horrible things. But the good news is now he's purged me of those memories, and he's cut it at the root by his blood, and because of the cross, you're not who you once were anymore. Yeah! Woo! Now this is gospel. Everybody say this with me. Now, I have you repeat to get you interactive. And when you say something, it gets it in you. So everybody say this. We say, I have an answer for everyone and everything. Now, next time you're sitting in a restaurant, I want you to look around. I want you to not stare. Don't stare. We know staring is not what I want you to do. Next time you're at a restaurant or you're out in a public place, at a festival, you're down, wherever you're at, I want you to look around. I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, show me the spiritual condition of the people around me. Just ask him to do that. Because I'm sitting at the airport and I'm looking around. We, we traveled this last weekend and I'm seeing hundreds and hundreds of people walk by. And I'm realizing outside of these doors, there's a lot of broken and dying people. And I have the answer. Now, my answer isn't making them be uniform to me and to have it my way. My answer is Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. So if you know Jesus, you have an answer for everyone and for everything. You have the answer, and it's better than a lottery ticket. Don't, I know some of you wish you just hand out hundreds of dollars a bill and be the secret Santa. But I'm telling you, a $100 bill may get somebody excited for the moment and buy a few gifts. But nothing like Jesus Christ and the life of Christ transforms somebody forever. He's the greatest gift. He's better than a Christmas gift. So what you have to understand is, yes, God wants us to be a blessing to others, and he'll use finances to do that. I love handing somebody money. I love what Ryan did today. 
If Ryan had the word to bless single moms, and he says, I feel like we're supposed to make, have single moms stand. We're family. We're not institutionalized. I trust that he hears from the Lord. And I know there's mamas in this house fighting a fight by themselves and need some help and need to catch a break. And if it takes money away from the offering, I don't care. Because he's our provision and our source, and we're going to bless people no matter what the cost. It's the heartbeat of the Lord. It gets, I'm telling you, I just, my heart is swelling up. Ryan's crying. What's happening here? It's not church as usual anymore. And we take off our Sunday best, and we stop trying to perform, and we just realize I'm a man or I'm a woman in desperate need. And I don't want to drift away. And if I have drifted away, guess what? Drift yourself back. Say, I'm drifting back. So he purged you. Say, he purged me. He wiped away your past through the blood. Why are we still living in it? You know what's beautiful is I can look at you and I don't see your, your past. But when I listen to you talk, I can hear broken foundation. And I say, oh, well, let's restore that and make it the way it's supposed to be. Because to restore a foundation doesn't mean that we just put some uh, peer, peers underneath, underneath it and jacked it up. We're not just, in a sense, fixing a foundation. We're replacing it. That's what it means to be renewed. It means I'm not just going to take a refurbished carburetor. I'm going to put in a new carburetor. And in turn, you're going to run like you were intended to run from the beginning. Do you understand? He doesn't put a temporary fix. He replaces. And that's where it starts in the heart, is he gives you a new heart. But you need a new heart. And you need to recognize and realize how desperate you really are. I'll be the first person. I'm in the trenches with you every day. You may not see it. And you may get to hear from me on a Sunday morning how fired up I am. But let me tell you something. I had a brand new $15,000 espresso machine blow up two days ago. I'm in the middle of summer, third weekend of July, one of my busiest weekends, and my brand new machine blows up. I have doors busting off the hinges at my coffee shop. That's foundational. I've had children that are sick and not feeling good and meltdown mode and babies, and my wife hasn't been feeling so good and all these struggles and all these challenges. Two weeks ago, one of my employees... <coughs> accidentally turned off the gelato case and a thousand dollars worth of gelato melted it's happened before so i woke up i said it's going to be all right clean up the case make some more instead of you know instead of of course it's frustrating two weeks before that my freezer my walk-in freezer broke in the middle of the night everything was ruined we fixed it Seven days later, it broke again. I'm not going to be moved. I'm going to fight. Because if you don't understand that without a fight, there's no victory. If you don't understand that God whittles you down to have to warfare for something, I know you want it easy. Couldn't it just be easier? And he said, I made it the easiest through the cross. If you look to the cross... But we want it in the natural way. We want the money. We want all these things. And it'll come, but it comes to those who won't squander it and let it be like that slipping water through your hands. You stick your hands under the faucet. Go home and stick your hands under the faucet and let the water run right through your hands so you get a good word picture of what slipping away and wasting a promise looks like. You can't eat the picture on the box. 
you must bake the cake. <laughs> yeah! Oh, I know it's hard, but if it wasn't hard, you wouldn't appreciate the victory. If it wasn't hard, then the understanding of overcomer would mean nothing to you. Faith must be tried and tested. And that's why God brings a people and a family and an army together. Because I may be a powerful force by myself, but now hook me up together with all of you and you and you. And suddenly, everybody say suddenly. There's an army of influence. And an army of influence can transform cities and nations. Oh, yeah. 6.45 a.m., I'm at the, co- at the corner here. I'm watching a young girl strung out with drugs skimming across the street. And then I'm watching two other guys come out from behind buildings drunk, some that visit here. And God says, I put you right where I want you. You have an answer for everyone and for everything. You're the light of this world when people are in the darkest of the dark moments. And when that leak is trickling out from that pinhole underneath you, now that leak is my IV to life for them, and I better get more. And if I'm not getting more, I become empty. Earnest heed. Earnest heed. Look at Romans 8, 17. It's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. This little bank of scriptures are my most favorite scriptures in the Bible. And I'm going to keep bringing you back to this because what I want you to see is that you're an heir. Everybody say, I'm an heir. You know what an heir means? An heir means, let's say that I'm an heir of lithos. It means that these sunglasses that he's got, this chain, this hat, I get to share in it all. If I want to put it on, I can. If I want to put these sunglasses on, I can. It means I'm sharing in the promise. I just need a longer beard right now and pull my hair back in a ponytail. Do you understand? I'm a direct representative, and I get to share in every promise that he has now and what he'll leave behind. I share in the promise. Look at the scripture. Everybody say, joint heirs. It means I get everything that my family passes down, and so do my kids. And it means everything that God gives to me now, I get to give to them. It means that, and this is insane to think about, but it means... That in 16 years from now, when my daughter's going off to college and she's 19 years old, it means when my son is just graduating high school in 15 years from now, it means that when I'm in my 60s and my 70s and I'm still working for the Lord, now what I've done is I've set something up to hand down because it's much more than money and buildings, it's promises, and now they're believing they can take it. And so when God says, I've got a shopping center or a city or a people, they believe for themselves because I passed on a legacy. Hopefully they'll get my stuff too. I mean, I want them to have stuff too. We all want them to have stuff. But I also want them to learn to fight for it and to hang on to it. That's why I have millionaire friends that don't just strike us $100,000, $200,000 checks because they understand the value of fighting for something you believe in. Yeah. So when this next build out comes, whatever it's going to look out, we're all going to give together. And that's why we fight for this together, and we fight for Flower Bluff, and we fight for Corpus Christi, and we fight with life and love and power in the Holy Ghost. And I don't, I don't make my ambition to be a witch hunter or a demon hunter. I make my ambition to transform lives because by doing that, I tear down the gates of hell as it is. You understand? 
He is an offensive God. He's offensive. Just read the Old Testament. Say, why did God have to say, go after those people, wipe those people out? Why did God, I don't understand. You don't understand because the devil would have done all he could to keep Jesus from the cross and to keep Israel from obtaining the promise and getting and being the example for us to keep you out of the seat you're in right now. So God had to be offensive because the devil is offensive. But we put him into a defensive state. You know how I do that? By being who I'm called to be. You do that by being sons and daughters and loving and living right. Then you'll drive back the gates of hell. If we become it, we'll see it. And that's what we're going to be doing. We're offensive, not defensive. We don't have to fight defensively. We fight from a position of tearing down the gates of hell. That's who we're called to be. Now, look at this scripture. How do you become an heir? You suffer with him. What does suffering mean? It means that when I start saying to the lady in the drive-thru, come here, let me pray for you. And the person behind me starts honking the horn. I say, I don't care. It means that when I go to Stripes or H-E-B and I, and I pray for somebody, it means that when we start casting out demons and praying, so you go to that crazy tongue-talking church? Yeah. You mean they cast out demons there? That church is demon. It's a cult. That pastor with long hair, he's a cult. And you say, you know what? All your reproaches just remind me that I'm right where I'm supposed to be because if they did it to Jesus, they're going to do it to me. And the more you start doing what Jesus tells you to do, Get ready. But guess what? With suffering comes obtaining. With putting your flesh into subjection and saying, you know what? I'm not going to live like I did anymore. No, it's not okay anymore. We have couples, Tony and Wesley, saying, I'm ready to put a, a nail in the coffin to the devil's accusations. Because every day the devil wants to accuse you and lie to you and tell you you're not this and you're not that and God doesn't care and he deceives you and in your identity is what you tell yourself about yourself. And so what you do is you get into God's story and start telling his story and then in turn you drive a nail in the coffin of the enemy. And I want to say to everybody here, this is a church where couples living in sin can come, get healthy, get convicted and get transformed and it took them a while and I'm going to tell you something, they're now honoring the Lord for the right reasons doing it God's way because God spoke to them and I didn't have to beat them over the head every week by telling them how much of sinners they are because the Holy Spirit convicts people's lives and gets you in the process. And if you've been coming here for months and months and years and years and you're living the same, then I'm not preaching the right gospel and we have a problem. Thank you. We don't have a problem. So what you understand is I'm patient with you. But I challenge you week in and week out to hear the voice of the Lord and stop going through the motions of Christianity and get a person, get a life. Get a life. A spiritual life in Christ. And then he gives you the rest. There's got to be conviction. You've got to understand consequences. And if you don't have an understanding of the foundation, you'll drift away. And if you're not willing to suffer with him, then there's no obtaining a promise. Do you get that? I know we'd all love to say it's by and by pie in the sky. I believe in Jesus and we keep living the way we want and nothing's changed and transformed. And oh, I got all the promise, but you're sitting on a box of Betty Crocker. <laughs> right underneath your rear end and doing nothing with it. 
and you're baking a new kind of cake. I'm telling you, God, <laughs> I knew there was something fun going to come out of that, but let's move on from that. So everybody say, earnest heed. So you can't have an identity crisis. You can't have an identity crisis. Jesus is the brightness of his glory. Everybody say, the brightness of his glory. You're going to like this, Lauren. How many of you like photography? Let me tell you what brightness of his glory is. He, and that he's the exact image, the express image. Express image means a carved, exact copy. That's what Jesus, he's an exact copy engraved and carved by the Father as an example. And if you study out express image, the word in the Greek is the exact word for character. He is the exact replica and representation of the character of God. But it's also this concept in photography of you've got your awesome expensive camera, but you need more light. And so you get an external flash that you hold off to the side. And I take the picture here, but the flash flashes over there and lights up the whole room. That's what Jesus does. It's also the same understanding of the bright and morning star and the sunrise of the sun coming up every single day. That's what Jesus is to us. And he's flashing his light and his faithfulness is like the morning star, the morning sun every day to your life, shining bright on you and showing you how you're to live as the exact replica. And then when you become a son as a joint heir, guess what? Stamp, carve into your heart and he makes you look just like him. He makes you look just like him. Who wants to look like him? So everybody say this. We've said this before. Say, because he is, I am. Because he did, I can. If he did it, you can do it. And he's your high priest. He's forever living to make intercession. And he overcame. He's seated at the right hand of God. It means a restful place. It means that God leads from a place of rest. And God wants you to be at a place from rest. And some of you are full of anxiety, stress, worry, depression, fear. None of these are the fruit of the Spirit. So you just got to say, I don't want it anymore. I recognize that that's been in my life. Now I want a new foundation. In my life. <clears throat> when it says that God upholds all things by what he has spoken, by his word and by what he has spoken, that word for word is rhema. It means that God's breath is, sustain, is sustaining all things right now. We live and move and have our being because he breathes and because his breath is upon us. But the word spoken is not the word rhema. It means what God has said. And that word is laleo in the Greek, and it means to tell you something. I'm laleoing you today. But it's related to the word lego. Everybody say lego. I love this word because it means to set a discourse and to build. So God's word sets a discourse and builds you like a set of legos. So whenever you work with, we, I was playing legos with my kids yesterday, and I love it because I built this four-foot-tall tower. 
And each piece, I don't always know what I'm building, and sometimes I do, but each piece fits together. But the most important Lego is the cornerstone of Christ. Is his corner, he is the cornerstone foundation by which everything we build. And so what the Lord does is when he speaks something, it sets a foundational course in your life. That's why I said you can't keep coming and not be transformed because we're hearing the word and letting it pass through or else we're taking it and building upon it. So God's word by what he's spoken sets a discourse for your life. John 14, 26. John 14, 26 says, The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So the Holy Spirit is here to help you not drift away. The Holy Spirit will keep you from drifting away. If you're listening, you got to be listening. You say, I'm not hearing God's voice. Well, the first step to hearing is to listen, which means you've got to get to a place where you're listening to the Lord. And what the Lord does is he brings to remembrance. And the word remembrance means to be quietly reminded to put in and to quietly remind you who he is. And guess where you get quietly reminded? In the quiet time of his prayer. This morning, I got up real early, and I went and sat by the water. It's where I like to go. I have a place that I like to spend with the Lord, and I'm watching the water. If you've ever looked across the bay, if you ever sit by the water on a calm morning and look across the bay, some of you live on the water on the island, or you ever go out to the beach, think of a calm morning, and if you look across the water, you'll see from a distance the water's moving one way, and then in the middle, it's going another way. And then close to you, it's moving another way. And if you look at it, not closely, but from a broad view, it looks like the waters are going all different directions. And as I was watching, I could see the water lift up. I had a vision where the water lifted up and the Lord said, my tide is rising and you're going to rise with it. Like I looked down the street the other day and saw the wind when we had all that wind and the palm trees blowing and said, there's hopeful expectation for creation. These aren't overly profound words, but these are things that God is speaking to me quietly of him reminding me of his, of his promises. And if you're not being reminded, that's why when I see you, I saw Taylor this morning at seven, and I said, Taylor, what's going on? And he gave a little word, and I reminded him, don't compare yourself to others. Because I see you the way God sees, and I see a long-term process so that you can become that tree with deep roots all along the banks into the river. And so the Holy Spirit does what? He teaches, everybody say, he teaches, and he, remem he reminds me of everything that he said, of every Lego piece that builds your life. That's what he does. John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth has come, he'll guide you. Everybody say, he guides me. It means he shows me the way, he leads me, and teaches me. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he speaks, and he, teach, and he will tell you. So the Holy Spirit is teaching and telling and reminding and bringing to remembrance everything of who he is so that you don't have to go it alone. Proverbs 29, 18, if you don't have any revelation, what happens is, is you cast off restraint. And what I want to do is bring you back into restraint. Casting off restraint means you drift it away. Casting off restraint means I can't see what's in front of me. But the Holy Spirit is supposed to tell me all things to come, but I can't see it. So if I trust him, I'm going to have a vision, I'm going to have a picture, and I'll be restrained. You know what it means to be restrained? It means when the, your old friends call you up to go party at the club, drink a drink, toke a toke, party it up, that old girl, that old guy, all those old things, all that stuff that's contrary to him. Now you say, you know what? I'm a man that's being restrained because the Holy Spirit's showing me things to come, much greater promise, and I've got revelation. 
but I got to get you to get some revelation. I've got to get you to the place where you're hearing God's voice for yourself. And so I'm going to leave you with this and we're going to close. Drifting can happen. But through your identity, the good news of the gospel, the cross, through your access to the throne, which Jesus says you're high priest, through God's word and the Holy Spirit, and by abiding with him, you can stay full and never drift away. You don't have to drift away, everybody. And even if you've drifted away, guess what? The Lord always wants to bring you back. And let me show you the best picture of that in the Bible. This is Luke chapter 15, 1 through 7. I love this. Here's an incredible picture of Jesus rescuing a drifter. Verse 1, then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near, near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Now, I love this scripture, and I've thought about it a lot, and I'd like to just briefly paint the picture for you. You got a hundred sheep. Jesus is talking about sinners and law, the scourge of society in the context. The, the religious people are upset. So Jesus gives this parable. If you had a hundred sheep and one went astray, who wouldn't leave the 99 to go after the one? So the first thing really Jesus does is he goes after the lost. But the 99 was secure and solid to stay together. Hence, we should be like the 99 that's firm so that when I bring the one or Jesus brings the one, we'll rejoice together and not be like the older brother with the prodigal son and being angry and frustrated. But instead, we're rejoicing. So Jesus goes after them. This is a, a, a picture of how we should live our lives. Jesus goes after the one that drifted away, the 99 solid and together. Hence, we're building a 99. We go after the one, and when we, he finds the one, what's the first thing he does? He puts it on his shoulders. Now, you know what the Bible says about shoulders? The, the government will rest upon his shoulders. And you know who the body of Christ is? That's to carry the government of God on earth? We are. So we're the government, help, we should be the healthy government structure yeah. that when I put somebody, when, I, when somebody comes in, we're carrying them. We're not looking down on the, the drunk person that sits next to you on a morning service. Oh, that church has drunk drinkers coming to it. Heck yeah. Or the drug addict that walked in or the person that smells or the, you can't ever look down on somebody. Because the kingdom has the rich and the poor. It has all walks of life. Every nation, tribe, tongue. Every color, every social status, every age group is in the kingdom. And if this was a holistic church, then in every way we'd have black, white, Asian, Hispanic. We'd have the nations, the tribes, the tongues, the ages, the wealthy, the poor. They'd all be pursuing the Lord together with passion and understanding of the purpose of the kingdom of God. And you can't lose sight of the purpose of Rock City Church. We're an outcast, outreach-oriented church to save the lost and to bring them in. So what happens is that I put them up on my shoulders, which is you. We bring them into the shoulders and the kingdom of God so that they can get healthy. And that's the purpose of church. 
and governmental kingdom on earth. You can't do it alone. You can't say by myself. The priests were designed to carry the ark as a team. A 300-pound ark going through the desert required lots of people to change places and positions because you can all, I don't care if you got four, five, ten people, that 300-pound ark over a long period of time in a hot desert needs a lot of people. And to carry the government and the promises of God, I need you and you need me and we need each other and we need a tribe because there are lost drifters coming back into this place and drifters, we're going to go pull out and you're going to go meet somebody and say, you should come to my church. And they're going to walk in sick, broken, and destitute. And will they get a touch and experience from God? Let's start coming into this place filled up. And if you've drifted away, then this is your time to come back home. And to realize I've been doing it my own way. Pull that last scripture up from Proverbs. This one. I don't really like that name, backslider. It's such a religious term. But it's a reality. I like the word drifted. I drifted away. I drifted back. But look at the scripture. The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways. When you slide away, you do it your way, and your intellect is your king and your God instead of him. But a good man, or a better way to say it, is a man made good will be satisfied from where? Let's all stand. You have been listening to a message from David Bindet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening. And until next time, Stay fired up.